Hello and welcome to the Adapted to Screen podcast. This is a podcast about books and their on-screen adaptations. For example, in a previous episode, we did A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. We talked about the book and the film, compared the two, decided which is our favourite and why. This week, we are doing Miss Doubtfire. I didn't even know Miss Doubtfire started out as a book, but apparently it did. Uh, the book was called Madame Doubtfire. Still is called Madame Doubtfire. You can find it on Amazon. But yeah, I'm joined by Philip McCulloch and the amazingly talented Scott Capero, who also appeared in the film. He'll be telling us about his time on set with Robin Williams and his time off set as well. And it, some of his comedy career stuff. And yeah, it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing it. So Without no further ado, here is our conversation, our chat, and our discussion about Miss Doubtfire. But we did lock down very early, and that has a lot to do with it. And people here are very serious and have been since day one about mask wearing. If you leave the house or leave your apartment, some guy screamed at me in my building. <laughs> I went to leave the flat two weeks ago and I, and I forgot my mask and I turned around like 8 a.m. I'm like, fuck, and I turned around to get it. And this ginger with, oh, with dreads, <laughs> fucking hell. As this ginger is a fucking bad, dreads, white guy, huge guy, big, scary from the South, staring at me, so, out of the, you know, because it's just for, you know, natural, whatever he said, respect of people. Can you please wear a mask? And I rolled my eyes more at myself than him because I forgot it. And he scares, leans into me and says, eat a dick and die, you motherfucking asshole. <laughs> wow. That's a bit aggressive. Very, pa- I, very passionate. I, yeah. Did you just not say, do you know who I am? Pardon me? <laughs> Did you just say, do you know who I am? Back yeah. off. Oh, well, yeah. Hello. But also... <laughs> Uh, you know that this is going to be, I said to him, this is going to be part of my act now, but also we, I lived, we lived two doors down from on the same floor in a building with 12 units. We're going to see each other all the, so awkward. awkward. But, um, you know, so yeah, if you don't wear a mask, you get mm. a lot of that here. Mm. But that's good, I guess, because we've had like around 400 deaths since the beginning of the pandemic in the city. That's really good. That's, that, that is good. I don't like wearing a mask in general because I'm quite s- s- phlegmy when I, when I talk. So after a while, it feels like I'm being waterboarded. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. people yeah. have a problem. They can go and eat a bag of dicks. I've got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eat, eat some dicks and die. Now, when we're in the flat, my husband, if he's annoyed me, he says, Come eat a dick and die from across the apartment. So that's, <laughs> that's become a part of our little colloquialism. But you have to be careful the masks you buy, too, because I bought this on a whim. I'll show you the mask I bought on a whim. And I regret it now. Um, because I didn't try it on first. It's my, um, it's my Barbara Streisand mask. Ooh. And I bought it because it looks like, can I do this? Can I flip this around? I had this painting in my house. Can you see that? Oh, nice. that's marvelous. Wow. It's a bean and noodle portrait of Barbara Streisand from an album cover. This is the gayest thing I've ever said in my life. And, um, and then I saw this and I bought it. But it's really, it's a bad fabric, so when I put it on, I suffocate, which is, which is how my husband says he feels when he listens to her music. So, um, yeah, he hates that portrait. He hates Barbara There's little beans, there's little noodles uh, of the Jewish star on the corners of the frame. Oh, that's cool. That's really good. It's really good. Nice piece of art. 
It'll give you AIDS <laughs> if you're not careful. But I, yeah, I so all this, you have to be careful with your bike. <laughs> so Scott, um, what we're going to do is um, I just think we should carry on doing this. Fuck, fuck oh, the yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> forget the podcast. Forget it. Uh, yeah. So um, what what me and Richard do? We um, we we read a book. We watch a film. We just have a little chat about the differences. Um, have you read Madame Doubtfire before? I haven't read it. No. Okay. No, cool. It's not- okay. <laughs> it's boring. Scott got halfway through and his uh, Kindle broke. Um, but um, all we do really is just uh, you know, do a little bit about the author, do a little, bit, a little bit about the people who are in the film, and then just discuss the differences really. Um, obviously, we can't discuss the differences with you if you haven't read the book. However, what I will say is the book is exactly the same, more or less, um, with a few little differences. And what we'll do, we'll bring you into the conversation. Uh, you because... can tell us about all the funny <clears throat> shit that happened on set. <laughs> okay. One of one of one of the differences being you're not in the book. Oh. Uh, yeah. So the couple says, isn't or my character isn't. No, Jack. There's no Jack. There's no Frank, and there's no Stu. Who so we can up? well we can talk about that when you yeah yeah exactly yeah so but so so what we can do is bring you into the conversation when we're talking about that really uh, okay. rather than rather than you talking about the differences we're looking at the book madam doubtfire by anne fine uh, a leicestershire born writer so it's another another midlander who we're looking at we looked at alan moore last podcast and and find there she <clears throat> she moved over to edinburgh in the early 80s and actually got the name madam doubtfire from a charity shop around the corner from a house so that's where the name of the book come from um she's written many other books before um but this is the only one that's been adapted to screen and yes, i'm um, surprised oh. that scott you didn't know you, you didn't know about this I thought you'd have been well on top of this. I mean, having read that, you that I should have read the book. Oh no, no, <laughs> about the book. Did you know about the book? I, I knew that a book had been written, and I knew that the. Um, I think I heard that story about the charity shop. Oh, name, that's good. Being, okay. uh, the name of the character. I think I'd heard that before, but um, having grown up Catholic, I don't really read the book. I just pretend I know it all. So <laughs> I'm not Catholic, and I still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read book reviews. But um, that's, that's who has time for books? I'm busy, 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 busy shopping online, buying stuff. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, no time. The uh, film was directed by Chris Columbus uh, of Home Alone fame, uh, starring Robin Williams as Daniel Hillard, Sally Field as Miranda, Pierce Brosnan as Stu, Harvey Feinstein as Frank, Scott Caporo as Jack. Lisa Jacob as Lydia, Matthew Lawrence as Christopher, and Marriott Wilson as Natalie. Um, and as I said, we have a discussion on the differences. But before we do, Scott, could you just talk us through, because I've watched a couple of interviews with Matthew Lawrence and uh, Harvey Feinstein and heard their versions of how they heard about the part and how they got the part. Could you tell us how you first heard about the part of Jack and how you got the role yeah i um i was uh an actor living in san francisco um i i had tried a bit of stand-up comedy and um enjoyed it but i was mostly in plays and auditioning for tv and film and they used to do a lot of tv and film out of san francisco that was the next stop after la got too expensive and then they've since moved on but for a period of time they were doing a lot of film and tv here 
And uh, I'd heard about the part through a casting director, and they were looking for. Um, I see my husband on the street. Sorry, they're looking for. Uh, he's got the dog. Oh God, this is gonna be a mess. They were looking for uh, a gay. I think they said in the in the in the character description uh, a camp designer, or maybe a gay one. And I showed up at the audition. And I hadn't auditioned for very many feature films yet. And I didn't really have expectations about how to behave. But in those days, in 1993 or so, um, actors used to show up at auditions in, in three-piece suits. That was just how they were done, how they behaved with a briefcase, because they're actors. That was their uniform. And um, I showed up in sort of probably something similar to what I'm wearing now, you know, something a bit more camp. And uh, I, they also didn't have a script for my character. They had, they had a description and an improv. And I think some actors are uncomfortable with that script in their hand, but because I'd done a lot of, a bit of stand-up, I was okay with that. And um, when I went in, the casting director said, we have, uh, Robin Williams is leading this film and you have to turn him into a woman, go. <laughs> and I'd read in a description of Robin that he'd had his hands shaved for, for films because he was so hairy mm -hmm. that it was distracting on camera. I, I read that somewhere. So my response was, okay, you, you look like an ape. We've got to shave your hands. If you're going to be a lady, bring me a razor. And that got a big laugh from the casting director. And so they liked that. And that got me a callback. And then at the callback, there's only one other actor. So the competition wasn't stiff. And then I ran into Robin in a comedy club. And uh, we were kind of chatting. And... Uh, so brazenly, I said I'd audition for his film, and he's like, "Oh, that shouldn't be a problem." So I was lucky. Well, Robin was, um, or Robin Williams was uh, a producer, also, wasn't he, on the with his wife film? So, yeah. yes, I, I, I don't know whether he had an extra bit of stroke on maybe saying, "I want him to be the, I want that, I want that." No idea, but he did say, I think later that he 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 was eager to hire local comedians to play some of the smaller, you know, the feature. That's good. Parts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was great. That's good. It was great. So a lot of a lot of people, like the guy who plays the waiter and the maitre d', are all comic performers, if if not stand-up comedians from from the Bay Area. Oh, okay, yeah. that's good. It's really good. I see. So, um, you mentioned then about the script. You said either uh, uh, camp or gay designer, um, and I was having this conversation with Richie uh, the other day. I would, we watched the film. Well, I watched the film maybe once a year or so with the kids and whatever else. But there was lots of that film. For instance, there was the Jack and the Frank character who were. Sorry, the dog. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's quite all right. Just take your time. My dog just arrived. Sorry. Okay, go go on. I'm, I'm yeah, no. Um, uh, saying, uh, obviously, there was the uh, there was the Jack and the Frank character. Um, I think um, they were referred to as Uncle Frank and Auntie Jack at one point. Yes, um, there was there was some deleted scenes as well with uh, with yourself in with Robin and um, Harvey, where you were looking for clothes for Mrs. Datefire. There were we and, spent an entire day outdoors in North Beach. And yeah, then, and, yeah, in thrift shops looking for for clothing. Yeah, and then you mentioned about the, there was someone you were talking about who'd had um, a sex change, and then I think there was a woman or a man dressed as a woman stood next to Robin while you were talking about it. So there was lots of uh, progressive things in this film that kind of that that you didn't that, that you don't really notice, but obviously nowadays it's yeah, yeah. like like a focal point kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, for some people viewing that film, or at least people have told me this who've seen it, that it was the first time in their life at that time that they'd seen a gay couple 
positively portrayed uh, on a cinema screen. And, and, and also a gay couple that was not the focal point of some sort of gag or, you know what I mean? That wasn't used mm-hmm. in any sort of vulgar way that was just there. They were just part of the family. And um, I think that that's what makes, for, for again, for some people who view the film, I think that's what makes it so special. That's what makes uh, that moment of the film so special. I mean, that, 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 that's why they remember my character. Of course, Robin's brilliant performance is what makes the film spectacular. But I think that the reason they might remember Harvey and I, even though we're not in the film for that long, is because of that. Because we're just two characters in the film. I think the fact that Harvey and I were out as performers and out in the film, you know, it, there's, there's, there's a lightness about the scenes, you know. Um, we're, we're, we're obviously really comfortable around each other. And, you know, I think part of that was also because of Robin, you know, I, I was suddenly on a feature film set with two other comic performers. We were the only actors on, on the set. You know, I was so nervous, obviously, my first time on a feature film set. And, of course, around two icons, and Chris, you know, Columbus, it was, it was, I didn't, they weren't laying the pressure on, but of course I, I felt like I wanted to do my best at all times. And I was so anxious, obviously you know, to impress someone like Robin, if I, if I even could for one second, that I, I kept blowing my first line. I blew it so many times. <laughs> and finally Chris pulled me aside and said, just relax, you're, you're, just relax. And uh, so that set that week in that apartment, also because of my hometown right around the corner from my house, I, I, I really felt comfortable around them. And it's been said many times, I just read this in something, I can't remember where, that there was so much improvisation on this. I mean, we, you know, Robin wanted to improvise a lot. That was his way, you know, I guess. And so you weren't sure when the cameras were rolling. And there was no point being nervous because it was just happening all the time. And it just became a part of that day. And also... I think people feel comfortable watching Harvey and I because we're clearly we're not we're not really putting anything on. It's just we're just being ourselves. It, it was great fun. I was lucky. That was sort of one lucky. thing about. I mean, yeah, you didn't spend much time on the screen, but the one thing that does come over from the scenes that you were on was how natural it came across. You know, it, yeah. the, it, it it doesn't seem like it doesn't feel like you are acting. And well, I, I think because. For me, you know, by the time I got the part, they, they wrote the script having seen me on camera. So the lines suited me, it felt. And it didn't feel like I, ha- again, had to put anything on. And, and they also asked us to be playful, Harvey and I. So we were playful. You know, some of those lines came out of our playfulness. It was really, I, I mean, you, you couldn't, as a comic, I couldn't think of a more ideal experience to have. And I thought, oh, this is how all films are made. And then the next time I was on a film set was very different. And, um, yeah, it was very different. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very funny you say that. Um, I was watching an interview with Mara Wilson, who played Natalie, and she said exactly the same thing. She said it was so much fun mm. that uh, even though she was obviously five years old, she'd never done a film before. This was the first. She went, well, this is how it is all the time. Isn't mm. this great? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember being one morning getting in a car and sitting in front of me with Sally Field, who, of course, you know, like anyone else, I'm a huge fan of. She's won two Academy Awards, and I, I grew up watching her. I just staring at the back of her head. I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm fine. This is so stupid. <laughs> and I said, uh, this is wild, right? And she said, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm just a mom who wants to work, though. But y'all, that was so sweet. You know, had no errors. There was no point, anyway, because um, 
you know, the, the mood of this set was so friendly that no mm. one was putting it on. It was great. It was great. And he was such a lovely man to work with on that, but also to share a comedy stage with. I mean, I was able to do comedy on the same stage he did that night a few times. And then he did improv at a club called Cub, Cobb's Comedy Club in the city. And I, I was hosting the show that night. So I, he dragged us all up on stage, the comedians in the house that night. And Anyway, he was just such a generous person. And he, the last time I saw him do comedy, the, the, the year before he passed away, he looked so happy on stage, you know. We touched on it briefly, the deleted scenes that you were doing. You said you spent the whole day on the um, in the thrift stores looking for uh, Madame da- or Mrs. Doubtfire's clothes. How yeah. many how many days were you actually uh, how many days were you booked for, and how many days did you actually do on sets in total? That's a thing, right? Because in those days you got residual. So the more days you spend on set, the more your residual, your residual percentage was. So my agent would call me every day and say, "Did they invite you back?" And I say, "Yeah." For like, oh, thank God. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was brought in on the first day, not knowing how long I'd be on the set. So in the end, I was there for five days, which is great, a full week. I think we were four days, if I'm getting so long ago, but four days in the apartment mm-hmm. and then a day outdoors near the shops. It might have been three, two, but I think it was four, one. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So did you get to see any of the... Uh, bits of filming or was like the um, the scenes that you were filming? Because I would imagine... Uh, the the scenes that you were filming uh it would have took a long time obviously to have all the makeup applied onto robin then to do your bits um so like was that kind of like say for, as an example like three days straight of doing a makeup cut wash that off put different makeup on do your lines cut wash all that makeup off. there was a lot of that yeah and then robin had to learn some of the songs for the parodies because he didn't know <laughs> It's a heterosexual guy. He doesn't know the lyrics <laughs> the parade, believe it or not. So thank God there were two queers on the set. Too. <laughs> but then also we did it, we did a couple of parodies they ended up not using for the film that were suggested. And that was those we did an Ivana Ivanka Trump thing with huge high wigs, a leader of the pack spoof. Oh. I don't think they used, and that took some time. But I think oh, also been cool. um yeah there, yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot. And I think they wanted to, you know, Chris wanted, you know, Chris and Robin had a very, very intimate relationship, it seemed, on the set. And they wanted to do a lot. They wanted to get a lot of footage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they could choose, pick and choose between yeah. what they were using. So, um, because uh, obviously, um, I think we may, um, either mentioned before we started recording, but um, your character, Jack and Frank, were not actually in the book. Um, the way uh, the way the book runs is um, it picks up. If you remember in the film when Daniel's having dinner with his children for the first time when he's in his apartment on his, by himself, uh-huh. um, that's where the book begins. Uh-huh. Uh, but in the but 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 in the book he's already divorced. Um, there's the custody battle's already been done. There's no talk of that. Um, and then so it really is that scene where where Sally Field comes round, she says she's going to get a, a maid and he changes the number and then he does all the silly phone calls just like Robin does in right. the film. Um, but all he in the book, what Daniel does is just put a turban on, put some apricot foundation on, a big dress and turns up and the children actually know straight away. Oh. Um so he, so, so, he, so he goes, uh, Natalie, the youngest, is there. So Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire puts her to bed, reads her a story, and she goes, night, Daddy. 
<laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I haven't fooled you." And then he goes <laughs> down. He goes downstairs. The, the um, Lydia and Christopher come home from swimming. Christopher sees the housekeeper. He's not happy because obviously he wants his dad to look after them. But Lydia notices straight away and pulls him away and goes, "It's dad." And they get away with that throughout the book. But his ex-wife doesn't get it. No, she doesn't get it. Uh, no, she has. Uh, Richie, what did you say about um, uh, about uh, blah, 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 sorry Miranda in the book? Uh, in the film, I didn't like Miranda. In the book, I hated Miranda. She was <laughs> she was she was horrible. She she had she had definite issues. Yeah, I'd say in the book she was um, like. I mean, I can understand that, you know, you're a single mother with a, in the book, she owned um, a lighting emporium and I can, you know, I can imagine you're a single mom. It's the mid eighties. You've got three children. You've got a business to run. You're probably just thinking about working, getting home, working, getting home. That's why you can't tell that your ex-husband who you hate is dressed yeah, as a woman in your house. stinking attitude <laughs> as well. Oh, no. Real, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Stinking yeah. attitude. Yeah. And it's like you're listening horrible. to you and you're thinking, why did you get with her in the first place? <laughs> She's horrible. <laughs> but I say in but in the film, she was, you know, the. I know that Richard said that he didn't like her, but I thought she was complete opposite. I thought she was, you know, she was caring. Okay. And, no, you know. No. In, she wasn't film, anywhere near the book. In the film, she she had all those, pro, you know, the, the weight of the world on the shoulder with the three kids, and she was a single parent because, you know, and you, you knew, and you could tell that underneath it all, there was something endearing and something mm-hmm. something better that, could, mm-hmm. you know, that needed to come out mm-hmm. in the book. No, she was just an evil bitch. <laughs> all, the, all the way through. The other the other character um, in the film, uh, and uh, and obviously I think in the film as well, I mean, and I don't know if you were privy to these discussions, Scott, but obviously you can't have Robin Williams just put some makeup on and a turban and turn up at the door because he's, right. too, re- he's too recognisable. It's Robin Williams. So right. you would need um, someone to put the makeup on, you would need that makeup effects person, you know, your character and, um, and a harvest character. Um, so, I mean, was that ever kind of, um, like put to you, like, that's what your character, you know, why your characters were there, or was it just, this is the role and this is what's happening? I think it was self-explanatory. No, we just, listen, my, my feeling on film set, maybe not that one in particular, or that one a little bit too, you show up and they're just concerned that you fit the costume. They want you in the costume on the set. Here's your lines. Do them. Get out. I mean, you know, the 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 artistry of filmmaking from an actor's perspective, I think, is is just knowing knowing what you're doing in those scenes. Oftentimes, when you're in a film or even a TV show, they only send you the scenes you're in. Oh, okay. You don't even know what else is going on in the film. That I don't know why this is. It might be a copyright infringement, or it might be because they don't want you thinking about other stuff, or they don't want you diluting your 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 you know getting too making it too complex. But that's always been my experience. I've been in, only in a few films and a bunch of TV shows, but that's always you only get to see. And sometimes you're in your hotel room, and and they shove a script under your door at midnight before the next shoot day, and all they do is shove three pages in with you. In, that's all you get. So um, there's a compartmentalization about uh, uh, actors on film sets that you're, that you're kind of aware of when you're there. And I think it might also be because that's all they're dealing with that day. That's all they have time for. Okay. But I never worried about why we were there or 
what the purpose was. You know, I just, I don't know if you've watched uh, the Kaminsky method, but it's brilliant on, on Netflix with Michael Douglas. No, and not yet. It's fucking great. If you're standing, if you're a comedian, you have to watch it. But anyway, it's great. And, um, uh, he, he's an acting teacher in LA, but he brings in Jennifer, uh, Allison Jenny to speak to his class one day. Uh, and she's a really good actress. She's won a bunch of awards. And she says, you know, when I'm thinking about my character, I, I think around the part and I look at how other actors respond to me in the film. I read their parts to know who I am, to know if I scare people, if they like me, if I'm nice to some people. And I'm thinking when I'm watching the scene, I'm like, they send you the whole script and they do it because he's the lead. But I mean, if you're somebody like me, all you're getting is like your own little just bit. Just getting the bit. Yeah, yeah just getting yeah. the bit. And then they want you to be, I guess they want you to be effective in that bit, but not to worry too much. You know? <clears throat> so I was always just concerned about hitting the spot and pulling the things on the side of his face and getting the line in time. I'm not even trying to think of timing or anything. I'm just, I'm trying also to keep eye contact with the actors I'm working with because I don't want to, space out or, or I'm already, I've already got one lazy cornea. I don't want to look like I'm looking elsewhere. Or, you know, <laughs> I just want to hit the light. Do my, you know, because there's so much to worry about when you're there. There's so many people on a set. Jesus Christ. There's like 30 people standing behind you and you, you just don't want to slow anything down. You want to get on with it. You know, so. one of the, um, one of the other characters uh, in the film who wasn't in the book uh, was Stu. That's Pierce Brosnan's character. Mm. Um, it was, th there was a mention that she had been on a couple of dates in the book, but no other male part. Um, mm. Did you, did you meet Pierce at all when you was on set? Only for like a minute. Um, I met the other actors and I always thought it would have been great if they had brought, uh, Harvey's and my character back on the night they were out to dinner at that restaurant um, <laughs> and had us in the toy like because she was nervous and we showed up and she's like what you, you know what are you doing here Mrs. Zephyr we said well we just came here to support you no you can't be here so we went uh, to the restroom and then heard all this chatter in, in the ladies room I thought that sounds fun and we went in there and hung out with the women and helped them with their hair and makeup and stuff because <laughs> that would have been pretty cool actually then, yeah you know what I mean that would be great so is that what gay people do <laughs> yeah, well, it would be great. Stuff, I ran in there. We did her makeup every two minutes to turn it back into Daniel. And then the lady saw that. So we're in there the whole night, right? Fluffing hair. And do I just thought it'd be great. I thought it would have been a great uh, way to bring us back. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no. Um, so because, I mean, the uh, uh, the film's runtime is two hours and five minutes. And, yeah. there's, and there's 32 minutes of deleted footage. Oh, and right. You and you'd think um, there was a lot with the neighbor uh, in the book. Uh, in the yeah, book, Polly, uh, Polly Holiday. They didn't use her at all. <clears throat> no, which is her a shame, really. Her I met, met, spent a day with because she was outside the house when they drove up. And uh, she was huge on TV here when I was younger. Really excited to meet her. And then I was really excited to see her part because she's very funny. And then they didn't use any of it. So. No, which is a, which is a shame, really, because uh, a, a, um, a lot of the parts – uh, a, lot, a lot of the deleted scenes were all relevant in the book, actually, because because um, uh, Daniel was in the book, especially it was very, um, very prominent that he was a green fingered person. Oh, right. And and because the neighbor in the book was such a cow, uh, he delighted in the fact that her plants were rubbish and would and as Mrs. Doubtfire would drop smarmy comments. She she'd go, oh, Mrs. Doubtfire, can you check out my flowers? And and Mrs. Doubtfire would be like. Got cankles. <laughs> She'd be like, what? Funny you say that because when we pulled up in, in the car, I remember she was standing out in front of the neighbor's house uh, in gardening gear. 
So now that makes sense. Oh, well, there, there, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, because then um, the uh, one of the deleted, one of the uh, deleted scenes is she's asking Mrs. Doubtfire for for advice, and he tells her the best way to get plumage on a flowers is to have like two spoons of coffee to three liters of tea and a dash of dog piss. How did someone look at that book? How did someone look at that book and think we can make a masterpiece out of this? It is- no. It's brilliant too, because um, he is so spry and he doesn't comment. You know, oftentimes you see someone gender changing in a role and it's a difficult thing to do effectively, I think, because sometimes people even, experienced performers live in live performance you can see them commenting on the part as if they're standing outside of it and saying this isn't really me and i've seen comedians do that uh when i can almost always tell when a comedian is stealing a joke because they comment on it when they're telling it it's it's a funny feeling i have and yeah so that's interesting but he doesn't he doesn't do that at all robin he's in it He's in the part. You forget it's him many times when you're watching that film. He's that's, so that's good. A, you know. That's the thing about the, the part that he played as well. I mean, in a lot of films, when you dress a man up as a woman, you, you're basically dressing them up in drag. You know that it's a man dressed up as a woman. Like, uh, was it Priscilla Nuns Queen on, of the Desert? Priscilla Queen the of the Desert and things yeah. like that. Whereas Robin wasn't... He wasn't with a drag with a drag queen. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. You've got big mm, hair. Yeah. You've got it was transformed into clothes. a woman. This person that Robin was would walk down the street, and you wouldn't turn your head, and you wouldn't think twice. Well, sometimes I think uh, men are a bit anxious playing women, and they they need to stand outside of it to protect their own masculinity. I think that's what it is. <laughs> but also. From what you said, too, when we were with Robin, he wanted to get an ice cream. Remember, we were in North Beach in those outdoors scenes at the thrift shops. And he, we walked down the road off the set for a minute because they were changing cameras and stuff. And we were just chatting. And um, Aladdin had come out recently and was a huge, huge hit internationally. The year before, I think that was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And there were parents with their kids, you know, foreign families as tourists. And these kids who didn't speak any English, heard his voice, just heard his voice chatting casually and ran at him, ran at him and leapt up into his arms because they were so, you know, they found him so engaging. That's just the voice from that film, you know? And so, so he was able even to mask in a way that it wasn't just his appearance, but his voice is so recognizable internationally. And he was not mask it, but just give it away and put something else there. And maybe it was because of his theater background or the way he'd been raised in a very liberal area here, or just who he was. He didn't feel like he had to hide uh, away from his, from himself or, or, or comment on his show. No, but I'm still a man. I'm still a guy. I'm still hetero. He didn't have to do any of that. You know, he wasn't afraid of the part, which was great. I think that's one of the reasons why, again, people find the film so uh, en- engrossing, you know, they fall into it because he's so into it. Would you say the film was ahead of its time in the way that uh, it, it approached the characters? Because there aren't many films around that time, if any at all, that would have, like your character, for, for example, and, and dressing the man up as a woman, 
it, uh, it was only in the early 90s, but it was still something that wasn't, it was territory that people usually stayed away from. <clears throat> Would you say that it was kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, you said progressive earlier. I mean, it might have been, I mean, unintentionally, though. I think what it is is a really good comedy. And I think I think with comedy, you can push people's comfort zones a little bit. So because yeah. of that, it does. And uh, yeah, I, think I think what's good about that was it was a comedy with an unhappy ending because the parents don't get back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you you get you get what they wanted all along for the dad to look after them after school. Well, Although, uh, but, I mean, but other than that, there's a, it's not a, it's not a happy ending film, which is which is it, it's strangely satisfying because that's what as a viewer that's what you want. You want them to be with the dad, and it doesn't matter if they're married or not. So you don't get like the kind of Hollywood ending. You just get what you get. Although it sounds like Richie's happy with that because because he thinks she was such a bitch. It's probably they're not in the book. In the, in the book. <laughs> That's very true. I um, thought she could have been redeemed in the film. Um, uh, something you might find uh, interesting, Scott, is in the book uh, there is no restaurant scene. Um, Dan, in, in in the book, Daniel is an actor, or he's a he's a he's a stage actor, um, but he lives in Leicester to be closer to his children mm. uh, rather than London. Uh, so he takes up a job as a nude model, uh, or or a life model, should I say? Is it a life model? Live model? Yeah, yeah, artistry nude model, um, which uh, he didn't realise that his ex next door neighbour goes to the art class and she's horrified to see that oh. Daniel is the live model. Uh, it transpires that the studio is being renovated and um, Miranda had agreed for Mrs. Hooper to have her class at her house before she realised it was Daniel. And then before we know it, the art class is being held at Miranda's house with Daniel as the nude model and then she and they so she says to Mrs. Doubtfire, "Can you come and look after the children? Because the school's on strike." So he's like, uh, so "He's running in and out, getting dressed." And, ah, uh, he's not. No, no, no. It's very, very. Uh, it's for. I thought that. I thought this is going to be like total chaos. But he's he's modelling nude in the living room. And about an hour later, Miranda comes home. She goes upstairs because she can't go in the living room, and she sees all of Mrs. Doubtfire's clothes on the floor. Oh, and right. and that's it. And the um the the deleted scene with uh Daniel or Miranda in the film when after he's found out to be Daniel, uh, he goes back to the house and has the conversation. That's all in the book. Um, you know, they're having a big argument. Um and it's more or less settled exactly the same in the end uh of the book and the end of the film, other with the um the bus driver as well. Uh, the bus driver in the film, if you notice, uh, who who took a shine to Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, also takes a shine to Mrs. Doubtfire in the book. But in the deleted scenes, um, the bus driver, I think this is like the third or the fourth time he's picked up Mrs. Doubtfire and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to the bingo on Thursday if you want to come with me. And he's like, look, I'm a bloke. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you still look really nice. <laughs> 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 that's like the final that's like the final scene from uh some like it hot right you know Where i've never you know, i've never seen that never Jack seen Lemon it the dragon the guy who's been trying to get him throughout the film gets him on a boat and lemon finally says i'm pulls off his wig i'm a guy and, and 
this rich old this rich old guy says, "Well, not not everybody's perfect," and that's the last one. <laughs> Hilarious. Spoiler alert for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm kind of glad that the film's different because so often, you know, why not use it as as a jumping point, right? Hmm. There's no point in trying to, re- to reproduce something that's already been written. Might as well do something different with it. It's great. Absolutely, I, th- I I found with the with the book, it was just it was just a story, and the the story was the the way she wrote was very formulaic. It didn't really grab your attention. What the, it was kind of like if you've got a coloring book and you've got a picture, you can, you know what the picture is, but it needs coloring in. And what you did with the film and what Robin did with the film and the, all the other characters is you coloured that picture in and you made it a beautiful story. Oh, that's sweet. I think it was near perfect, that's the way I look actually. At it. As, a, as a film, I think it was near perfect. Uh, I think, first yeah. of all, for, for, for two hours and five minutes long, it doesn't feel like that at all. Um, and even, I mean, even when we was watching it back for this podcast, when they're in the restaurant, I was on the edge of my seat. I'm like, yeah. no, come on, get to the bloke, do your meeting. Don't, you know uh, how I'm, it's you know how it's going to yeah. turn out because you've watched it yeah. a thousand times, but mm. you're still on the edge of your seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you yeah. still laugh and you still cry. Now, um, Scott, uh, uh, Richie asked me a very interesting question. Um, he's uh, he asked me if you could choose one group, one band, hmm. to have done the soundtrack for this film. Which so you, group? Yeah. So you could take, out, or, you could take out the music. You take out right. the music that's currently in there and replace it with the music from one band or, or, sing, artist. or solo artist. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band, I think. Oh that's wow, a, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a went, good shout. I, I went with Run DMC. Oh, <laughs> sure. I was going to go with Queen, but then I thought that a lot of their stuff was a bit maybe too dramatic. Yeah, yeah, Ethereal. yeah. But Casey and the Sunshine Band's a pretty good call. Yeah, yeah I think fine. so. They're bouncy. Yeah. Hmm. A little, yeah, it's good. It'll be good. And, and they're youth, youthful oriented because the kids yeah. are featured. And it's real. The whole film's really about his relationship with his children. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and in the book as well, it's, you know, it's all about the children. And that's obviously why he's doing it. That's yeah. why he's going through the odds. Um, what, um, well, I'm, I could ask Richard rather than ask you. What uh, norm, normally what we say is, what would you add and what would you take? Eh? Is there anything particularly, Scott, that you yeah. would either? Add, well, we know what you would have added. You would have added yeah. that scene in the, the in the scene. toilets. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that that that. And to me, that's fantastic. Is there anything that you would have taken out of the film that maybe you thought was unnecessary? I can't. I really can't. I can't. I liked all the close-ups of the kids. They were really good little actors, I thought. Mm. And uh, one other thing I would have added, though, is when he talks at the end about different sorts of families, I would have added LGBT families. But people weren't doing that then. But it would have been nice. No, of course not. Yeah, no. Well, no, Well, I think he did say uh, some families have two mummies and two daddies. That would have been good. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, he did. He did say that. Does he say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I should look oh, again. I don't remember well, that. Okay, I'll look. Well, I'll look. I'm, well, okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Unless, unless I was waiting for it and it didn't come, <laughs> but it's still stuck there. That that's. I'm pretty that's, sure he doesn't say that, but I'm. I'm hmm. happy to take a look. No, but you, look. you're right. Maybe it's just stuck in my head. Uh, Richie, what would you have taken out or added? Um. 
I wouldn't have added anything until he mentioned that bathroom scene. I think that yeah, would have worked really like well. That. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That 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 would have been bizarre. And then if because uh, I know, uh, it, and then like if Sally Field had come in, maybe <laughs> what you would have done. <laughs> As for taking taking things out, I don't I don't think there's anything on it I, I, I'd want to take out. And it's really strange for a two hour plus film to go nothing. You can't take anything out because it all works. Yeah, which is, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, fun. maybe um, the um, the scene at the Lido with Pierce at the swimming pool. Uh, maybe that was not exactly necessary. He's funny though, Pierce. I think he's funny in the film. Is that the he's, scene where he throws the orange off his head? Yeah, it's so the that was definitely fruiting. needed. That was brilliant. <laughs> well, you see, because because at that point, at that point in the film, um, when they all come come in, uh, it's the first time we see Pierce, and it, well, not not the first time we see Pierce, but the first time we see him kiss Sally, Phil, or Miranda on the lips, uh-huh. like in front of the kids, as if it was nothing because before all you saw was him being introduced to the children. I think they may have gone on one day, and it was showing how a lot of time had passed. Because he just walked over, kissed her on the lips, and everything was fine. Yeah, you know the kids weren't like, "Ooh, he's kissed mummy." It's, it's something yeah, yeah. they'd seen before, and it was quite. And and uh, I think I'd read a comment somewhere where you've got uh, you've got Robin Williams dressed as a woman watching James Bond moving on your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've got, got a question. I've got a question for you, uh, Scott. Yeah, what 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 would you say is your fondest memory from? That film, from doing that film? It was really fun to be in the trailer with Harvey because um, there were some moments when we were offset off and hanging out and just chatting. They made you share a trailer. No, outrageous. but I went to his trailer <laughs> okay. because okay. Um, he was so gross. He was just so funny. And, I mean, at that point, I was a huge fan of his. And I just wanted to chat with him about Hollywood and Broadway and all that stuff. And he, you know, he appeared on Broadway with Matthew Broderick, who I thought was brilliant. I want to know what that was like. And... He also probably outed a bunch of actors to me, which was hilarious, which would have been hilarious. <laughs> and uh, we were allowed to go watch the dailies one day and they were aired not far from the set. And Harvey said, you don't want to watch them. You, in his voice, of course, which I can't do, but you don't want to watch the dailies. You do not want to watch yourself. I said, why? He said, believe me, you don't want to see the way you look. You just don't want it. <clears throat> and I said, I really want to go to the dailies. We don't want to go to the daily. You know, I said, well, this is when you're an actor. The daily. So we went to this small, dark theater, and my head popped up on screen. I, I just thought, uh, I, 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 what, what the fuck? That's my face? <laughs> and that's the sound of my voice? For fuck's sake. And so, because you never hear yourself, do you? No, of course. And so, um, we left the dailies and he said, I told you so. I told you, <laughs> I told you you didn't want to see that shit. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then another time we were on the set and I, I didn't know who Chris Columbus was. I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm a comic <laughs> from San Francisco. I don't know anything. And I'm trying to be nice and funny, but I know social skills because I'm a comedian. And we're sitting down out on the, the patio outside of the apartment, out on the deck, the terrace. And I said, you know, I'm trying to be chatty, hang out with the guys. I say, Chris, so what what other stuff have you done? How'd you get this gig? Uh, and then he started the list of films he directed. I'm like, oh yeah, those are all good ones. And then he walked away and Harvey said, you're either really good at this or you're a fucking idiot. How do you not know 
who Chris Columbus is. I don't know. He's being... So those two moments were fun. It was just, again, there were no negative. Seriously, I can't think of anything. The closing night, we dated a rap party, which was fun because I went to the rap party, of course, because I live here. And uh, I met all the tech guys and they were really funny. And I wished that I'd gotten to know them more on the set. And, you know, there's nothing about it that wasn't great. So. That's good. Well, um, I think I mean that really brings us to the end, Richie. That brings us yeah. to the end of that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh be nice to, to see you guys. Thanks for calling. No, no, no. Thank you for, for for coming on and sharing some stories. Um and obviously when you're over in the UK next, let us know where you're performing and yeah. we'll come down and see you. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. No awesome. worries. Well, it's, okay, cool. So um, we haven't got um, we haven't got anything for the next episode, have we yet, Richie? Normally we have something in line. Oh, we'll, but... we'll do we'll, we'll do um, the the Jack Black film that we mentioned, um, High Fidelity. Oh, the... oh yes. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. They turned well, that into a TV series too, haven't they? Uh oh. I think they really. Yeah. We'll have to check that out. I'll have to have a look yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And cool. they put a woman, I think, in the lead of. Uh, yeah, I think they have. How about that? Yeah, I'll have a look for that. We'll, we'll check that out. Well, from me, Philip. And me, Richie. And, and me, Scott from, Burrow. We've been adapted to screen, and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you. Thank and you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Ms. Robson, uh, do you have any closing remarks? Nothing further, Your Honor. Well, Mr. Hillard, since you've determined to act as your own attorney... You are entitled to make a closing statement at this time. Your Honor, in the past two months, I have secured a residence. I've refurbished that residence and made it an environment fit for children. Those are your words. I'm also holding down a job as a shipping clerk. So I, I believe I met your requirements. I had a schedule. In regards to my behavior, I can only plead insanity. Because ever since my children were born, the moment I looked at them, I was crazy about them. Once I held them, I was hooked. I'm addicted to my children, sir. I love them with all my heart. And the idea of someone telling me I can't be with them, I can't see them every day, it's like someone saying, I, I can't have air. I can't live without air, and I... I can't live without them. Listen, I would do anything. I just want to be with them. You know, I need that, sir. We have a history. And I just, they mean everything to me and they need me as much as I need them. So please, don't take my kids away from me. Thank you.